0: Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us on Zoom and on social media. My name is Kadir Ustun. I'm the executive director at the CETA Foundation at Washington DC. Today, we are hosting two panel discussions this morning and in the afternoon. Our uh, event title is Turkey's Security and Foreign Policy since the July 15 coup attempt. This first session is titled Evolution of Turkey's Security Policies and its Position in NATO. As you all know, four years ago today, Turkey experienced a momentous event with a failed coup attempt by what's known as FETÖ terror organization. The followers of Fetullah Gülen had infiltrated into the ranks of the Turkish army and they tried to bring down the legitimately elected government, while in the meantime killing hundreds of Turkish citizens, uh, which earned them the um, terror organization status by Turkish law. Uh, Upon President Erdogan's call that night, Turkish people went to the streets and ultimately thwarted the coup attempt. The aftermath of this failed coup attempt has become a transformative period in Turkey's recent history, both internally and externally. Ever since, Turkey has emerged as a major player in the Middle East through a troubled period, while reshaping its relationship with the West. In this session, we are going to discuss how the post coup attempt security policies and Turkey's position in NATO have developed in this time period. We have two accomplished and distinguished academics and experts to join us to discuss these issues. We are very thankful that they accepted to uh, join us. We have uh, Professor Mustafa Kibarolu. He is the Dean of Faculty of Economics, Administrative and Social Sciences at MEF University in Turkey. Uh, Professor Kiberolus research centers on proliferation of weapons of mass destruction, Middle Eastern policy can, politics and Turkish foreign policy. He is the author of multiple volumes and articles, many, many of them. Uh, students of Turkey will know him well, um, and uh, especially on Turkish foreign policy as well as WMD and NATO issues. We also have Dr. Michael Reynolds. Professor Reynolds is the is an Associate Professor at Department of Near Eastern Studies at Princeton University. He's also the director of Princeton's, uh, Princeton University's program in Russian, Eastern European, and Eurasian studies. His research focuses on the Middle East and Eurasia, covers the theme of empire, international relations, nationalism, geopolitics, Ethnic Conflict and Religion and Culture. He's also the author of prize-winning book, Shattering Empires, The Clash and Collapse of the Ottoman and Russian Empires, 1908-1918, from Cambridge University Press. Uh, Both of their resumes are too long for me to go through uh, all the accomplishments, but again, I want to thank them all. We will start this discussion with our panelists, brief introductory remarks, and then I'll ask a few questions before we open it to questions from our Zoom audience and also social media on- audiences. If you're on Zoom, please use the q and feature rather than the chat box to ask your questions. We'll try to make sure they're all answered. Um, again, thank you for joining us. I want to turn to Professor Kibarolu. Uh, uh, Hocam, uh, Mustafa Hocam, uh, can you kind of describe what kind of impact the failed coup attempt had on Turkey's security perception, security policies ever since? Uh, it's been four years. It's a long time in some ways, but it's, it's also a very short time. But as we saw, uh, Turkey has done a lot abroad in Syria, in Libya, has been very active in the Middle East. But um i'll I'll turn the floor over to you for your uh, introductory remarks thank you
1: thank you khadir thank you michael and thank you for inviting me to this very important meeting. uh uh, i appreciate it um actually it's just like yesterday i mean four years have passed and i still feel how i felt during the uh, night and through the night and then in the early until early morning 16th of July and still I cannot keep but thinking of what might have happened to us to our country uh, to Turkey to everyone had that coup been uh, successful hopefully it was not and uh, we should um, of course uh, uh, remember uh, uh, all those who lost their lives and martyrs uh, that night and those, those who uh, suffered uh, severe consequences ever since. So, um, well, um, foreign and secure policies, at any time in history, at, at also at present, and for any country, there is both continuity as well as change uh, and, and, and uh so uh, certain events uh, sometimes may accelerate or decelerate the pace of certain developments and when we look at uh turkish foreign and security policies and then specifically turkey's relation with the west turkish american relations turkey's relation with nato as a whole and with some nato countries uh like um, france germany britain the leading uh nato countries um i might say Uh, some of the um, developments have gained a lot of pace but not necessarily in the positive sense because uh, I can sense that, uh, well, there was always uh, problems in Turkey's relations uh, with Western countries as a whole, with the United States, with NATO countries and Turkey was, uh, has become a member of NATO back in 1952 despite the objections of uh, then uh, Britain and then France, they said Turkey is neither a democracy nor market economy, nor part of the West. Turkey has no place in NATO, etc. But the United States, especially in the aftermath of the Korean War, uh, having seen how much Turkey could contribute to the solidarity that is needed so much against uh, common threats, like the Soviet threat back in time, uh, and what, Turkey was uh, ready to suffer and and sacrifice uh, with the push of the United States, so to speak. Turkey has become a member. But even then, uh, Turkey was well, based on my observations, readings, my conversation with uh, officials, academics uh, here and there over the past 20, 25 years that I am dealing with these issues. I can tell with uh, great confidence that Turkey was Almost never warmly welcome to NATO and to the West. And Turkey was welcome because Turkey was, had certain things uh, to offer to, uh, in, the, in the defense of the West back in time against the Soviet threat. But since um, the collapse of the Warsaw, you know, uh, Cold War period and the Warsaw Pact, Soviet Union, etc., things have started to change. And, and uh, our Western allies have always found some. Uh, excuses for not elevating their relations to the levels that Turkey was expecting from them to do. But uh, the, in particular, the 15th um, of July, four years ago, what happened has had a deep impact on Turkey's relations, not only with the United States, but also with entire uh, NATO uh, alliance, because I'm, I'm making this different because in my uh, publications, in my conference, I always refer to Turkish-American relations as an alliance within the alliance because Turkish-American relations had a separate meaning and separate structure, separate sort of uh, operational and sort of venues uh, as, as two NATO allies when compared to Turkey's relations with the other NATO allies. But now it seems to me that both the Western European and now European allies of NATO plus the United States have um, uh, uh, are sharing almost uh, the same view about Turkey as to whether Turkey is the same uh, NATO country that it used to be or whether Turkey should even stay in NATO and some even go further and to argue that Turkey should be, uh, allow me to say that, I'm sorry to say that, should be kicked out of NATO as if something like that would be possible. So therefore, uh, I I think uh, Turkish American relations have deteriorated for some reasons starting with the Uh, with Turkey's sort of uh, uh, desire to buy, you know, air defense systems first from China, then uh, from Russia, but, uh, and and also uh, deterioration of relations with the entire NATO countries, almost, and the United States uh, owes much to what happened four years ago, because there is a lot of suspicion. And I got this question very often, right after the incident, and the coup attempt and also even just recently as to whether there was a real coup, as to whether there was a real attempt, as to whether that was a real thing and whether this coup was real. I mean, uh, of course, uh, we are explaining with all the details that we have in our capacity in terms of specific knowledge or what we have observed during that night and in its aftermath, but uh, uh, our Western allies still keep their uh, suspicions as to what Turkey has gone through was something that they should rely on or they should trust. And therefore they cannot still uh, feel confident that Turkey is a reliable ally. This is nonsense. This is insane. They even went uh, so far to argue that, I mean, some of them are my colleagues and people whom I know in person, uh, arguing that Turkey that night, the Turkish army would seize the tactical nuclear weapons that are stationed on, uh, on the Angelic base near Adana, and that they would use against the United States or against you know, Gulf countries or against uh, other allies. I mean, this is meaningless. And they, so therefore suspicion has poisoned their, their mindset and has ultimately changed, radically changed their perspective. And they cannot, in my opinion, put Turkey in a proper context as to have to uh, see the future of relations. Therefore, uh, unless um, either they change their mind, or we somehow make them change their mind and inform them enough or more than enough to convince them that what, was, what happened was real and that Turkey now is, is a democracy, is a, is a country, is a powerful ally, has a lot to share with, with, the, with NATO. And unless they agree to this, unless they cherish Turkey's uh, alliance relationship, it will not be to their interest. And a a, a country uh, like Turkey, with its strategic as well as geopolitical location, with its military might and, and other capabilities. And we have seen during the pandemic as to how capable and ready as a state Turkey was. Turkey has a lot to share with the West, but of course, it takes two to tango. I mean, if, if the West doesn't appreciate enough what Turkey has done and is doing and is uh, ready to do in the future, uh, I think the future of this relationship may not be so bright, I'm afraid to say that, but uh, this is up to the other side. Not only, it's, it's not only our responsibility to tell about, about ourselves, but it's also uh, the responsibility of our allies to understand without prejudices, without uh, suspicions.
0: Sorry, I need to unmute myself. Uh, thank you very much, Professor Kibero. Uh, Michael, the floor is yours, please.
2: Thank you. Um, I think I'll, I'll, I'll start uh, with the point actually that Mustafa made, which I wanted to, uh, would like to pick up on. And that is, um, as Mustafa mentioned, there is an attitude among many people in the West and particularly, including in the United States, um, sort of a sense of disbelief and even uh, in disbelief in this sense, the belief that maybe this coup wasn't a a real thing. That is, when I think about uh, the United States and its relationship to this coup, I think the first thing that comes to my mind is the um, inability of most Americans, and by Americans here, I mean those involved in the policy community, um, the inability to appreciate just what a big deal this was. that still really hasn't, it didn't sink through during the coup, nor in the immediate aftermath. And I think till, still to this day, um, to the contrary, I, I think uh, there's an inclination among many American uh, policy experts, uh, or those who work in the, in the realm of foreign policy to sort of write off. And part of that is uh, the even disbelief and suspicion, well, maybe this wasn't even a real coup. Um, and I think there are, I mean, there are a number of reasons for this. One is that for those uh, Americans who are familiar with Turkey, not deeply familiar, but sort of have a passing familiarity. One of these sorts of things, as you read about the history of modern Turkey as well, there've been a number of coups in Turkey and the attitude it became one sort of, well, this is a, a recurrent pattern in Turkish history. Turks are used to it. So if there's a coup in, in, in Turkey, it's sort of like if it rains in Seattle, the people there are there used to it. It's not really that big a deal. Um, anyone who I think knows Turkey more than just reading a couple of articles or, 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 or books on Turkey um, realizes that uh, the histories, Turkey does have a long history of coups, um, but it's a very much a, uh, how do I want to uh, phrase it, a uh, very fraught history. Um, and one that Turks themselves were very keen on ending this pattern of coups. Um, So that's the first thing I I think that comes to mind. This is the belief among many Americans. Well, you know, Turks are used to coups and this isn't really that big a deal. Um, And we don't have to think about it too much beyond that. Uh, Sort of reinforcing this idea that Americans never fully understood what was at stake in this coup and and what a big deal it was. And let me mention too that this uh, failed coup attempt, um killed what was it over perhaps it was over 300 uh, people 265 uh, up to over 300 i think over 2100 people uh, were injured in it that is a far more violent and bloodier coup than any uh, the other coups that the turkish republic uh, had experienced so that that in itself uh sets this uh, coup apart but i was speaking i recall within it was within the la- the last the past 12 months uh speaking with someone who's uh, quite well informed on, on on Turkey and follows the country and American, the American, this person follows Turkey quite closely. We were talking about a range of issues and then uh, we came on uh, discussion of the coup and this person said to me, you know, that coup almost worked. And then went on to tell me something about how this military unit was in this place and that one was in that place that they'd been, you know, half an hour difference. The thing could have worked and we had to, for other reasons I had to both, uh, we couldn't continue the conversation had appointments to go to. But I sort of scratched my head and I was thinking on the one hand, I was impressed that this person had knowledge of all this uh, information about where, what was taking place hour by hour inside of Turkey during the coup. But I thought about that this coup could have worked. And this person actually believed that. And I thought, you know, we're very fortunate. I think this is the second uh, point I'd like to make. We're very fortunate that the coup failed. And when I say we, I mean by that, I would say Turkish citizens first and foremost, um, but I would also say anyone in Turkey's in, um, uh, neighborhood, including uh, Europe and Western Europe and the United States. That is, had that coup succeeded, it would have plunged Turkey into civil war. There is no way that the that, that, uh, government, uh, the, the coup government would have been able to restore Turkey to stability. We would have seen um, the extension of the Syrian civil war into Turkey. And that's something, again, I don't think Americans have any clue about that. And if you think all of the problems that the Syrian civil war has created, the problems of refugees, et cetera, uh, uh, th- those would have been uh, an order of magnitude worse had Turkey itself also fallen to civil war. And that is something I think that would have happened. You know, let's say, imagine that Erdogan had been killed or something. In some fashion, you imagine that this coup attempt had succeeded for the first 48 hours things would not have ended there. You would have seen a, uh, I think, Turkey spiral uh, into uh, civil war. Um, The other points I think I would make is that um, certainly the the failed coup um, has damaged, uh, exacerbated what was already a downward trend in Turkish-American relations. And that is tied up with um, its enhanced Turkish distrust of the United States. And the factors that contributed to that were sort of this tepid reaction that the Obama administration uh, demonstrated during the coup. That is, you, had, you know, Obama himself called on all sides, uh, inside, the, all, all sides in Turkey to uh, observe the rule of law, which sort of already is putting those who are revolting against the elected government on the same uh, plane as the government itself, which is sort of, a, it's a curious uh, phrasing of it. It's a best very undiplomatic way. Uh, to put it, and then you when you had John Kerry also um, <clears throat> complaining uh, calling for expressing the hope that in that there will be stability and peace and continuity inside of Turkey and that's what his first initial reactions to the news of a coup attempt coming out, which again is is, is a is a um, an odd way, I would say, or a diplomatic way of phrasing things. And then only making things worse was in the aftermath of the coup when uh, director of uh, US intelligence and the uh, commander, CENTCOM commander, were both complaining that among the people uh, being removed from their jobs and being purged were uh, interlocutors with the United States and the Turkish military. That is, uh, figures within the Turkish national security establishment um, who are well known to Americans, and there was complaint about this. And while that makes sense from Washington's perspective to be worried about this, uh, it's sort of to make that a priority when your ally has just gone through a traumatic, you know, again, an attempt to overthrow the government. To start complaining, hey, wait, those are those you're removing people who are very close to us without expressing an understanding of. What does this event uh, mean for the society, uh, for Turkish society? It was again, I think, at best, a very uh, undiplomatic way and clumsy way of uh, approaching uh, the events. And that. Um, Uh, only exacerbated uh, Turkish distrust uh, towards the United States. You know, again, with one of the curious things about this uh, coup attempt was although the, uh, as Mustafa mentioned, the the Injirlik base, uh, Njerilik where American forces operate uh, from within that base. And um, despite you have the American military being in Turkey, as I understand, there was no um, uh, warning from uh, the US uh, in any way to the Turkish government which contrasts I've heard from a number of uh, reliable sources that uh, Russian intelligence, which was watching Turkey quite closely because of the Russian deployment in Syria, the fact that the Turks and the Russians had already clashed. So the Russians had uh, dedicated a fair number of their intelligence assets to tracking things inside of Turkey. And one of the first warnings that Erdogan received that something is not afoot actually came from the Russians who said, you know, we're, we're seeing some very odd patterns of movement uh among your military uh, you, there might be something going on um now i don't know it might be very much the case that maybe the american uh military didn't have any idea that was going on maybe in fact there were warnings that were forwarded um but I some turks have told me this is one of the things also they find um uh very uh, again i think the way you could describe the american um, uh, attitude both during the coup and in the immediate aftermath is very standoffish and um, that's, uh, again, only exacerbated uh, distrust in, inside of Turkey towards the United States. Now, of course, I think it should be said that uh, there's already, Turkish-American relations were already prior to the coup, not very good. Uh, they were on the downward path. Uh, I don't think the coup explains that, but it did make those patterns uh, worse. And I, you know, I should say, also just mentioned, I think the Ankara deserves a fair bit of blame for the downturn in um, relations with the United States. But when uh, we're talking about the coup uh, in particular, uh, specifically, uh, I think America, Washington mishandled it. Uh, I think that's quite clear that it mishandled it, um, both while the coup was unfolding and in the uh, immediate uh, aftermath.
0: Thank you, Michael. Uh, Professor I Can go you
1: points, if I may, to the point where Michael- go ahead with respect to this, uh, you know, Americans in, informing, or not informing uh, their Turkish counterparts. This is actually an issue that I raised uh, with an uh, uh, American diplomat who came to my office just uh, a few days after the coup. And that was another actually appointment to discuss education related issues uh, months before. We had decided uh, 19th of July uh, for that meeting. And of course, uh, the subject was unav- unavoidably uh, the coup. And, and I asked that American diplomat as to how it was possible uh, for the United States not to have even a bit of information, even a bit of intelligence as to what might be going on within the Turkish army. Because I mean, just uh, I would like to remind you that just one week before the coup attempt uh, on 8th of July, 8 and 9th of July, there was this uh, NATO summit in Warsaw, Poland and uh, Obama, U.S. President Obama and Turkish President Erdogan were there with all the other NATO allies. And the heads of state and government were there just one week before the uh, coup attempt. And I cannot understand, I cannot even believe that there will be no even little bit of information uh, in any of the intelligence services uh, of the allied countries as something that would at least uh, deserve to you know, uh, you know, bring uh, to the attention of uh, President Erdogan, and you know, in a friendly conversation, maybe off the record, uh, on the sidelines, and say, "Well, my friend, well, we were sensing something fishy going on, you know, on uh, in in your military. I mean, uh, hold on tight, and there might be something wrong. Just you know, why don't you, uh, you know, look behind certain things and try to understand if there's some sort of a, a wrong going." And I cannot understand, I mean, this is not possible. If that, if there was no such an intelligence within NATO about a coup attempt in a NATO country that would take place one week later, this is bad. But even if there was this intelligence and that was not shared with the Turkish president, this is even worse. I mean, these two things are not acceptable for an organization like NATO, the world's uh, you know, most powerful meter organization in the history of the world. I mean, and, and most important, uh, you know, uh, aspect of NATO is not its, you know, missiles and tanks or, or special forces, its in intelligence capability, not only human intelligence, but also electronic and otherwise images, etc. I mean, there is, I mean, my mind cannot accept that there was not even a bit of information intelligence on the side of our most of our NATO allies that there was something coming up. And this is, if there was no such intelligence that 's bad, but if there was such intelligence, but if not shared with turkey it 's even worse. therefore, Turkey has indeed a lot of reasons to sort of a challenge uh, as to what kind of allies uh, you are and tell them and, uh, and, and challenge their uh, obedience and allegiance uh, to to NATO membership so And maybe uh, what Michael said at the beginning makes a lot of sense. I mean, Turkey is a country where in its history there were a lot of uh, coup or coup attempts. Well, uh, some of them we don't remember because of our age, but uh, the 1980 coup and what happened afterwards in 1997 and others, uh, we can remember. And uh, in any of these, uh, the Turkish public reaction was somewhat uh, stay put. I mean, because they thought it was the military. Not only that they trusted in the military, the Turkish army, but also, you know, they knew the extent of its power. And there was no popular reaction to the, to a great extent. I mean, there was no popular reaction, and they didn't took to the uh, they didn't take to the streets. I mean, in any of these uh, the coup, uh, coups or attempts. but in this particular case, people took to the streets because. They could make this distinction. They could see that that was not the regular kind of "quote unquote" coup that Turkish armies engineered as in the past events, but that was something different. And therefore, the the the, the objective, the motive, the structure uh, was uh, all of them were different. And of course, it might have rendered Turkey. Uh, uh, into a country that would be, I mean, far more different than we are now living in. So therefore, I told my, you know, uh, American colleagues or European colleagues, NATO allies, everyone, I mean, would it be to their interest if Turkey had stumbled and fall and into such a situation and, you know, uh, became an entirely different country uh, with a spiritual leader at the top? and with a different uh, format and structure in its organization state structure, and maybe you know, uh, having different motives in its foreign and security policies. I mean, how come you turn a blind eye to what was going on for years? With all the intelligence capabilities that you had, you should have had Turkey before these things have happened. And even then, after the coup, it took a lot of time for them to make any comments. And it, when they made these comments, it was too little and too late. So uh, back to you, Kazir. Sorry to interrupt.
0: No, no worries. Uh, I was going to ask you if you had anything to add, but um, there's obviously, you know, a lot of frustration uh, on the Turkish side about. Uh, you just expressed, Professor Kiberol and uh, Michael also talked about those things. Um, but what I want to focus a bit more now on. What happened afterwards, right? Turkey at the time did not have very sort of amicable relationships uh, relationship with the Obama administration because of Syria because of YPG um, after the coup, we saw within a month Turkey actually launched a, a military operation in northern Syria so um, While Turkey was trying to coordinate many of its policies with the Western allies, with NATO, it was pleading to the US about this YPG support. Uh, But after the coup, it seems that mentality, the attitude and how Turkey handles security challenges in the region has uh, fundamentally changed. Uh, I mean, launching a, you know, Turkey used to do cross border terror and counter terror operations in Iraq but it seems much more different now. It, Turkey is able to now take on unilateral kind of operations. Now, what do you think has changed, Professor Kubero, uh, t- in terms of how Turkey sees these security uh, um, challenges?
1: Maybe because uh, of the you know, impact of uh, how the West behaved after the coup attempt, and maybe because um, the Turkish uh, president and uh, the security authorities and foreign policy makers have seen that you know, uh, there was nothing but uh, the United States uh, would be doing in terms of uh, uh, you know, uh, addressing Turkey's concerns or tur- meeting Turkey's expectations. Because for many years uh, prior to, to you know, the first operation into the Syrian territory, Turkey has, uh, you know, made an appeal to the international community. I mean, from the level of United Nations, as well as, you know, through our alliance relationship with NATO countries and specifically with the United States during the Obama administration to create uh, something like a uh, no-fly zone, safe zones, you know, uh, safe havens uh, in order to prevent what was coming, actually. It, it, it doesn't take a genius to understand what is going to happen when there is a civil war in a country like Syria people would you know flee their country and would, would come to Turkey and that was obvious and but Obama did nothing but making false promises and you know uh, disappointing Turkish authorities and finally, Turkey said enough is enough I have the capability and I have the right stemming from international law and, and because you know there is an, an ultimate danger a threat to your national uh, sovereignty and security so you're allowed to take measures to prevent such an happening and therefore Turkey just uh, uh, you know made it uh, all by itself because it is capable of doing it. Well uh, one thing that I was myself curious about uh, whether you know know, what would have happened if that you know these operations uh, were launched before the coup attempt with all the officers and high-ranking officers like uh, majors, lieutenant uh, colonels, colonels, even generals, when they were not, uh, you know, uh, sort of uh, revealed. And if they were involved in the operations, would, have, would that make things worse for Turkey into, uh, in, uh, from the operational point of view? And I discussed this with the top person uh, in the Turkish uh, armed forces. And uh, that person told me, well, uh, 90% of those uh, uh, with whom we uh, sort of launched the anti-terrorist operation within Turkey, uh, 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 these um, trenches operation, Hendek uh, operation, uh, and were are uh, part of this, uh, uh, f- part of NATO, we have figured this out. Well, th- this is something not possible to explain sociologically. Well, they were under the command and uh, control chain, chain, that they they participated in the trench operation against uh, a terrorist organization within Turkish territory. But after the coup, it turns out that they were part of FETÖ. So uh, therefore, this is something (laughs) difficult to explain. But what happened was Turkey now, something uh, has has, has, uh, launched an operation that was necessary because uh, the the threat might have aggravated had Turkey not taken any uh, sort of uh, measures, and not only in Syria but also in uh, Iraq, into the northern part of Iraq, Iraqi territory. Turkey has established now small bases uh, that can coordinate with one another, uh, some 35, 40 of them in northern Iraqi territory, and uh, similar places, similar uh, establishments in in Syria, uh, of course. Uh, these aim at not, uh, you know, annexing any of these territories forever, but to control the situation until uh, such, uh, you know, organizations, terrorist organizations, do not put uh, any challenge and threat to Turkey's security. And the one thing, uh, which uh, is not only peculiar to Turkish-American relations, it's peculiar to, uh, I think, the international uh, systemic uh, relations. What I keep saying or telling my students, and try to explain in my articles over the past four or so years, like, uh, well, there is actually no paradigm uh, that would, you know, uh, be uh, used as a guideline for foreign policymakers. I mean, there was this Cold War period; everybody knew its side. I mean, West, East, Third World, etc. And there's this post-Cold War uncertainty, but there are still alliance relationship and you know, some uh, you know, sort of uh, 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 clusters of uh, countries that come together for a specific uh, objective. But now everybody, including the United States, UK, Japan, Argentina, Russia, whichever you, country you take, they are on their own. They have to uh, be alert at all time. And while they make peace with one hand, with the same country, at the same time, in the same place, they also have to have their uh, rifle in the other hand against the very same country because there is nothing that would govern the international systemic uh, situation. So look at the situation in Libya, for instance, or in Syria and in Iraq, and then look at uh, Turkish-American relations and Turkish-Russian relations. On the one hand, we are on the same side with the Russians and for instance in Syria, in some respects, on the other hand, in, in Syria, we are almost you know, fighting a proxy war against each other. Same applies to Libya within the Turkish-Russian you know, uh, context. And also same applies to Turkish-American context in the same places. So therefore, it is not very clear as to who is friend and who is foe. Well, everybody is both friend and foe, depending on the circumstances and what is the biggest and most important a sort of uh, asset in my opinion these days, and, and for a period to come like uh, maybe 10, 20 or so years, if not longer, uh, is intelligence. So whichever country has better and more uh, fine-tuned, sophisticated, high-caliber intelligence will be capable of you know, uh, uh, managing this uh, uh, situation where there's no paradigm that would govern the international system.
0: Thank you, Professor. Um, Michael, I wanna... Uh, pose you kind of a similar question. So in this environment, in this environment, what does that mean for U.S.-Turkey relations when um, in the region, Turkey is now uh, devising more national-based policies? It doesn't feel like it needs to coordinate, perhaps, as much as it needed to prior to the coup. It feels much more self-confident. And then under Trump administration, there's a lot more questioning of NATO and NATO alliance uh, by the Trump administration. Um, So what does that, how does that impact US sort of uh, interests in the region? And uh, let's say, I mean, Erdogan and Trump has a strong relationship, but um, to what extent uh, are two countries able to coordinate and work together on common if there are common goals in these various regions, Professor uh, Kibaroglu mentioned Libya, Syria, etc. Uh, what does that uh, Tell us about the US Turkey relationship.
2: Right. Uh, it's a, a great question. I, the, the, um, to respond to the point you made that uh, you know, Erdogan and Trump have a strong relation uh, strong relationship. Now, this is very my uh, perspective is very much an outsider's, but I sort of question that sort of the conventional wisdom that they have a strong relationship. And I, I, it does seem maybe it's reliable information that we're receiving that yes, they have a strong relationship insofar as they talk to each other. But I don't know if that's really resulted in any significant change in American policy towards Turkey and/or Turkish policy towards the United States. Um, I, the, the, with the exception of the, you know, Trump's withdrawal of forces from Northern Syria, um, which as you know, I thought was the right thing to do from the standpoint of American foreign policy, um, leaving aside uh, Turkey's interests. But I think that was the, for a number of reasons, the US is right to do that. And Trump was right. That wasn't the conventionalism at the time, um, but I still think that was the right thing to do. Um, in other words, yes, we know that Trump and, and, and Erdogan are constantly talking often talk to each other, but how does that play out in actual policies? It's very difficult uh, to say. The thing that strikes me both about Turkey and the United States and the way that they, their relations have grown more contentious over the course of the past decade. Um, is that for both countries, their Middle East policies over the, not just the past decade, past decade and a half, they have uh, have blown up in their faces. Um, I think it's, it's rather remarkable. The United States has invested a tremendous amount in the Middle East uh, in trying to change things there, advance its interests. And not only is it not advance its interests, but it has done precisely the things Uh, it was trying to stave off, uh, that it's brought on itself some of the, uh, precisely the things it was trying to prevent, you know, among those the rise of the the Islamic State. Um, And as we know, that sort of, that sort of Islamic radicalism, violent extremism has not been defeated. It's still a factor. You have Russia's more active in the Middle East. One can go on and on and on. Iran uh, remains a major concern. Um, one of the few things that has changed is that American relations with Turkey now are much more contentious uh, than they were uh, 15 uh, or, or 20 years ago. And America, you know, in, under Trump, um, the United States is recognized, maybe we're overextended in the Middle East. And I would say the same thing about Turkey, that uh, likewise, uh, Turkish foreign policy to the Middle East also, I think, blew up in, in, in Ankara's face. And um, both countries, I think this fed into the frustration they had in their bilateral relations, that is we're both angry uh, with each other over what uh, we were both doing in Syria. Um, That is Turkey's angry at the United States for working with the uh, YPG or SDF, whatever you want to call it. Uh, The United States is angry with Turkey for not cooperating with it as closely. Um, in Syria and for perhaps uh, supporting the Islamic State and and not, or or not countering it as vigorously as the United States wished. They have problems with Iran, et cetera, et cetera. And um, the, uh, both countries have, um, I think, taken out their frustrations on each other, and that has not uh, contributed. I think both need to, both Ankara and Washington need to step back and recognize, look, we are both to blame for our own reasons for why things have gone badly for our foreign policies in this region. And we need to seriously rethink them. Instead, I've seen a lot of emotion on on on, on, on uh, both sides. Um, yeah, I, I could go on, but I, I don't know. Did I answer your question or if you have something more specific? As I see w- there isn't a whole lot of time left. Um,
0: Michael, yeah. I, I think we can move on to the questions uh, from the audience that way. Uh, If you want to add more, but I think uh, what I was trying to get at is, you know, uh, in the, you know, with Obama administration, you know, Turkish side is frustrated with that. Under Obama, uh, under Trump administration, we have a kind of uh, different take on NATO by the U.S. side, but, and then at the same time, Turkey is. Uh, going f- moving forward with its own initiatives, uh, without necessarily, um, uh, let's say, common operations or 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 uh, perhaps coordination of common goals, as much as a two ally uh, should be doing. Maybe uh, that's what I was trying to get at.
2: Yeah, and if, if I if I could just uh, comment quickly on that, so um, I think it would be worthwhile to point out that you. The relationship of Turkey to NATO, the U.S. to NATO, and um, let's not forget that when Turkey downed the Russian jet back in was at 2015, uh, the Obama administration wasn't there. Now I don't know enough about you know, how well was the U.S. informed that Turkey might shoot down the jet, that this was an, an intentional. Did the was the U.S. saying, "Go ahead, we have your back," or was the United States telling Ankara, "Don't do this"? I don't know that, but it was uh, rather striking um, that when that happened, the United States and NATO did not rush up, rush to back up Turkey. And again, I'm not going to say that was necessarily the wrong thing to do, um, but that I think Ankara, uh, again, I mean, this is a, a long topic uh, of its own for some time, that is uh, decades, has had um, questions about the reliability of NATO. That when push comes to shove, will NATO uh, back up Turkey? Um, and you know, there there is good good reasons uh, for that um, for the, those doubts. Um, and when this happened in 2015 that was another signal i think that's worth bringing up it's not sort of everything was great until trump came along and then trump started asking questions about nato and now all this sort of is is played out in 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 turkey saying well we can't rely upon the us we can't rely upon nato because look at you know trump is is running down nato let's keep in mind that this the problems with the us and nato began before trump and the problems between the US, Turkey, and NATO uh, were already a fixture, and and again, Obama's uh, passivity, and I should add that being passive is better than being stupidly activist. But uh, Obama's passivity came with a cost, and a a great example of that was when the shooting, when the Turks shot down the Russian jet, uh, again, the American attitude was very standoffish, and I think Ankara had to read that as, okay, when push comes to shove, we're not going to be able to rely on NATO, and again, look at how uh, Russia has handled things. And again, that's another uh, yeah. topic of, of its own, um, the way that Russia has demonstrated itself to be a much more um, uh, you know, would be decisive uh, player in in Syria and in Turkey's neighborhood. And uh, Moscow has reaped the benefits of that.
0: Perhaps we could even take that back to the Patriot missile deployment and, along the border, uh, Syrian border. But, uh, okay, so I wanna get to the questions from the audience. Um, Professor Kibarol, there's a question about the justification about removal of officers uh, 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 posted abroad from military missions in Turkish embassies, et cetera. What is the justification for that? Um, And can you answer that question? Well,
1: actually i'm 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 afraid I'm not in a position to answer specifically as to what the justification was this there is this legal process and either is a precautionary measure or maybe of course and i say maybe um, uh, they might be basing their judgment uh, on certain intelligence and a certain information that might you know uh, put these uh, officers in a Situation that they must be removed. I mean, this is a legal procedure, and I, I'm not saying this is right or wrong. And of course, uh, if uh, they have not, they, they were not involved in the coup attempt. Of course, this is bad because they will have suffered uh, the consequence of being removed and maybe uh, you know being under custody. So these things, of course, uh, must be uh, sort of uh, solved swiftly. I mean, because uh, the basic uh, human right is uh, is uh, freedom. And therefore, and until uh, uh, sort of they are uh, found guilty, they must be uh, treated as innocent. But of course, uh, this a uh, very uh, specific situation, a peculiar situation, and decisions might have been taken as precautional precautionary measures. But they should have not lasted for long. If they have not done anything wrong, they should have been reposted back to their position, or uh, you know, they should be restituted their, their situation. But if I may, I, I saw a couple of questions in relation to. Uh, the uh, new missile uh, purchase issue, Turkey, first from China and then Russia, and then uh, our American- Let's
0: uh, read that question quickly. Uh, It wasn't the missile purchase situation and miscommunication by both parties. Turkey demanded too much tech transfer and manufacture of the system to be done in Turkey, and the U.S. was too strict and tone deaf to realize local defense manufacturing is key Turkish policy.
1: Yeah, actually, uh, I thank Jeffrey Steiner for both asking and also giving partly given the answer, because yes, Turkey was demanding and and the United States was kind of tough against Turkey's demand. But Turkey has demanded not only in 2000, say 10, 12, 13, Turkey has had uh, put in place its desire before the US authorities as early as 1991. And when we have seen although in a very low performance in reality, and but uh, it was not on the headlines of uh, newspapers or TV screens that the Patriots have done a great deal of job during the, the first Gulf War back in 1991. And the, uh, the, the the perception of air defense system and that Turkey's need and, and sort of uh, uh, was obvious and Turkey brought this issue before the US, uh, first Dimitri military uh, establishment and then the a diplomatic and political uh, establishments, and ever since Turkey was always given promises, and I could follow the process from colleagues in, in diplomatic circles, military circles, not only Turkish but also Americans, Israelis, and others. And there was also times uh, like um, in early 2000s, uh, you know, or so, uh, maybe late 90s, when Turkey was uh, told that it would be part of the Arrow a missile system that the United States and Israel have you know, produced together and Turkey would be part of it. And I, I from the beginning, when I heard this, uh, told me uh, you know, by my uh, Israeli friends uh, from the Israeli diplomatic circles or uh, you know, during the conferences in uh, Israeli in, in military officers, I actually didn't believe that would happen because I mean, uh, there is always this suspicion Uh, And the same applies to Turkey's, uh, you know, initiatives to establish nuclear power plants in the country as early as the late 1960s and 70s and 80s. Because there's always this second thought in the minds of our Western allies and the U.S. in particular and France, Germany, Britain and others. Well, what would Turkey do with all this if one day they change their side and they become our rivals? I mean, they always make this... Calculus, uh, as if something and someday Turkey will be their enemy, their rival, and with all the capabilities that they have, they will have given Turkey by that time. It will be to their uh, disadvantage. I mean, this is wrong. I mean, Turkey has made every attempt to provide utmost transparency with respect to its plans, desires, and, and, and needs in terms of military capabilities, and 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 I don't know how many rounds it took. Turkish American uh, sort of uh, delegations to discuss uh, what kind of uh, you know, air defense capabilities or which systems Turkey would like to buy from the United States, uh, but to no avail. I mean, ne- never ever uh, uh, has become any. There was any fruitful result. And finally, I know myself for a fact from the very real sources from within this system that you know Turkey has a somehow find, found a way to you know, um, put an end to the Chinese you know, uh, deal and gave the United States in particular and the U.S. In, uh, sort of French-Italian sort of consortium and also a second chance to not let Russia uh, supply the air defense to Turkey, but either the U.S. or French-Italian consortium or both. But still, Nothing came out of that. I mean Turkey has proven its uh, sort of uh, uh, in utmost sincerity in this way and, and it is obvious that Turkey needs air defense system well of course, there is this interoperability questions and everything. I discussed this issue with NATO high ranking NATO uh, officers or uh, you know high ranking delegations. Uh, the person who was in charge as' the secretary of uh, uh, NATO Secretary General, Under Secretary General, NATO, in charge of operations, once said, yes, we can understand these systems can be used separately without harming NATO's military interests. But after all, this is a political issue and this is a political decision and we cannot accept it politically. So whichever or whoever uh, uh, person gives any explanation as to why Turkey should not buy S-400s from Russia because of this technical or that technical reasons. This is not making sense, real sense. It's a political decision, but Turkey has done everything in its cap- capacity and has shown uh, the utmost limit of its sincerity to let the Americans or Western allies to supply Turkey with air defense systems, but they did it. And of course, as a sovereign nation, as a sovereign country, Turkey had to do something and then this is the result. I mean, why don't you guys who are suspicious about Turkey's uh, um, you know, motivations in terms of getting into relations relation with Russia, why don't you also try to see these events from Turkey's perspective? Turkey did its best to stay uh, on, the, on the lines of uh, doing this with the United States and the European allies, but nothing came out of that attempt. That's it.
0: Thank you, Hocam. Uh, I wanna talk to, uh, turn to Michael because he spent a lot of uh, time studying uh, Turkey, Russia angle as well, Russia uh, relations between the two countries. Uh, based on what Professor Kibarolu said, uh, you can address some of that, Michael, if you want, but there's a audience question about uh, potential for Turkey and Russia. Uh, coming into military confrontation in Libya, um, uh, would you? Uh, I don't know how closely you're able to follow Libya, but I, you are an expert on Turkey-Russia dynamics. So, uh, could you address kind of this relationship that has, that has been source of the questions and doubts, like uh, in the West, like Professor Kibaroglu, uh described.
2: Yeah, I think, uh, let me just say, um, no one has ever described uh, Ottoman or Middle Eastern or Turkish history as being simple. And uh, when one thinks of Russia, one always thinks of uh, Winston Churchill's crack about Russia as being a riddle wrapped inside of an enigma, inside of a puzzle can't remember exactly what the quote is. And boy, I think when you add the two together, it just multiplies. So I think of contemporary Turkish-Russian uh, relations, it seems sort of was already very interesting and complex what was going on in Syria. And that is, you know, actually, as Mustafa mentioned earlier, there, the Turkey and Russia were fighting a proxy war in Syria. And then suddenly Turkey flips and it's cooperating with Russia inside of Syria, and then says, we want to buy S-400s. Incidentally, I should mention that, you know, one of the reasons I understand why the the, uh, Turks were interested in this 400s is particularly for um, uh, air defense because of the role that um, uh, the Turkish Air Force, or should say, renegade parts of the Turkish Air Force played during the 2016 uh, coup attempt. And therefore, uh, the idea that this could happen again, and we need an air defense that would defend not against necessarily outside forces, but um, uh, from... uh, our own uh, air force, which is a very common pattern uh, in the Middle East. That is the first concern about security isn't necessarily outside the attack, but from one from one's own arm, armed forces. Um, so you had this odd, odd thing where Turkey's in the proxy war with, with Russia, you know, again, shoots down the Russian jet, and then suddenly it flips very quickly where they're now talking with the Russians, collaborating with them to try to resolve things in Syria, and then buying arms, and then now it's flipped out again, where there is um, uh, major confrontation brewing and has been going on this some time um, in Libya. I'm not. I can't make any definite, you know, any real predictions about what's going on uh, in Libya, other than to make that maybe this is just restating the obvious um, that the uh, way that. Turkish and Russian relations have gotten again quite conflictual there maybe this is the message I guess I would take from this for for American policymakers is that don 't write off turkey um, turkey and russia i don 't think they're either they're neither natural um, allies uh, nor are they natural enemies and you can't can 't take Turkey for granted in this but they're um, uh, they sh- turkey should not be written off um, and uh, maybe i 'll just end it there I mentioned to you that I think the the United States has come to a realization that it has overextended itself in the Middle East. Uh, I'm not sure. Ankara seems to, has not, I don't think, fully um, uh, accepted that fact. And I, you know, Turkey's been playing, I think, a, a dangerous game, both in the Eastern Mediterranean and in Libya. Um, but we'll, we'll, you know, again, we'll, we'll, we'll see what comes of that. Thank you,
0: Michael. I want to give you each uh, kind of half a minute or a minute for your concluding remarks, and you can tell us anything about how uh, the the you see the immediate and medium uh, sort of term future of Turkey's relationship with with the NATO and with the U.S. as well, uh, and then we'll finish there, uh, Professor Kibarolo.
1: Thank you, Kader. And um, traditional or classical alliance relationships are now behind us and the present day and the future is uh, open to any scenarios and you may need anyone at any time anywhere in the world regardless of its size capacity and willingness or um, any other assets Turkey has proven itself time and again that it is a country just like Michael said it cannot be written off easily it should not be written off easily and just look at this part of the world Starting from Central Eastern Europe, Southeastern part of Europe, even some of them are EU countries, and go and I mean uh, the former Soviet republics in the Black Sea basin, the Caucasus, the Middle East, and Eastern Mediterranean. Turkey is a country that whose friendship will be an asset and whose rivalry or uh, animosity will be uh, to your disadvantage. Just think of that
2: uh, seriously.
0: Thank you, Michael.
2: Uh, you know, um, I, if I, if I have to, I have to join another, uh, panel in a moment. So I think I, I'll actually, um, uh, cause I, I can either go on for, for quite some time. Um, it's probably better that I just, uh, cut my, my comments here. I have, right. I have another panel that I'm, I'm, I'm actually a bit late for right now.
0: Sure. Thank you so much. Uh, both of you. Um, Thank you. I think we've had a very thorough discussion, uh, on uh how turkey's uh, the failed coup attempt in 2016 has changed the turkish policy makers mindset and how they're uh sort of how they uh, look at the west and cooperation with the west nato allies especially the united states i want to thank uh for thank both of you for your um very thoughtful uh comments My, thank you i, I, yeah, yeah, I have, have to go thank you